You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. What I'm hoping to do over the next several weeks is to look with you in some depth at the first uh, Paul's first letter to Timothy. And what I've given you now, uh, I've given you this little hand, hand, handout with the dates um, that we'll be having the class and the, the subjects that we'll be covering um, in each of them. Uh, so this is a kind of checklist. You can keep it with you. Uh, I have plenty so that next week if you come again and you know, tell me you've left this at home or uh, can't quite remember where it is. Um, I still have uh, several left, so don't worry too much about that, but it will give you an idea. Um, we'll be meeting this week, next week, the week after that, three weeks running. Then on the 28th, unfortunately, I have to be away that weekend. I'm going to um, do a weekend in South Carolina, so I won't be here. But then coming back uh, the first two weeks of November, um, I'll be here and we'll finish off. Uh, okay, so just before Thanksgiving, um, we should be doing all right there. Um, if you have uh, a Bible, you might like to bring it with you, keep it um, with you. Um, 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy, it's towards the end of the New Testament. Um, but I'll be going through it uh, in some detail, so you don't need to worry too much about that. I'm just holding on here in case... Uh, one or two people decide, no, he's going the other way. All right. Uh, <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, let's pray together, shall we? And we can begin. Our Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together now. And bless us, I pray, as we work and as we study together. Help us in all that we do to uh, become more like our Lord Jesus Christ in everything that we think in everything that we say, and in everything that we do. For his precious name's sake we ask it. Amen. Right, the, uh, the letter, the epistle that we're looking at in the next few weeks is the first one uh, written to Timothy by the Apostle Paul. It belongs to a group uh, of uh, letters in the New Testament. Uh, there's 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. Uh, that are usually lumped together, um, and they're called the pastoral epistles. Now, of course, the Apostle Paul didn't think like that. Um, they, he didn't put them together like this. He wrote them at different times to different people. Um, this is a, something that uh, was decided or designed later on when people collected uh, his letters uh, and put them together and sort of saw this connection between them and so they put them um, in this way one after the other. However, uh, they stand on their own. I mean, you can read one, you don't have to read all three um, to understand what's going on. You can read them one at a time because, of course, they, that's how they were written. Paul was writing here to Timothy, uh, Timothy who was uh, one of his younger co-workers, one of his younger helpers. Uh, we don't uh, know precisely how Timothy was converted, how he became a Christian. 
we know that he came from uh, a family. His mother was Christian and his grandmother. Uh, his father apparently was not, at least if he was, it's not mentioned, so probably was not. Uh, but then his mother and grandmother were Jewish as well, and we know that his father was not. Uh, so uh, that meant, of course, that Timothy was not circumcised as a child, uh, but the Apostle Paul had him circumcised uh, when he took him on board as one of his assistants, because uh, if Timothy had gone round uh, with Paul to the various synagogues and so on, and uh, and, and said to everybody that his mother was Jewish, uh, he would, they, they would have expected him uh, uh, to be circumcised and to be part of the Jewish uh, people in that way because uh, it was through the mother, of course, that um, the, uh, the designation came. So that much we know. We know that he came from a place called Lystra, uh, which is in the middle of Turkey nowadays, what is now Turkey, wasn't then, of course, um, and that Paul met him uh, there when he on his first missionary journey. Now, whether uh, he was converted himself personally uh, through listening to Paul, uh, this we don't know. Um, we can't be sure, but it does seem that it was from that time onwards that somehow they, they formed a bond, they clicked with one another, and from then on, Timothy went with Paul uh, on his various journeys. And many of the other letters um, that Paul wrote, uh, Timothy is associated with them. Uh, if you look at them carefully, it would say that Paul and Timothy uh, are writing together uh, to various churches and so on. This uh, letter, is, therefore, is exceptional in that it's not Paul and Timothy writing to somebody else, but rather... Paul writing to Timothy uh, because he has left Timothy behind uh, in Ephesus. Ephesus was the great city uh, in the uh, eastern Aegean Sea. Uh, of course, it's ruins now, but uh, it was a great port at the time uh, and a major Christian center. And Paul had, had worked there, labored there, had considerable difficulties there one way or another, uh, but had managed to establish a church uh, and then he went off on his on his journeys. He, he said he was going to Macedonia and different places uh, and left Timothy behind to consolidate the work that he had begun. And it was when uh, on his journey, when he had gone away, um, that Paul wrote to Timothy to encourage him, to give him some advice and to remind him that uh, he was still looking after him, you know, still uh, concerned about him, and he was planning uh, to return to Ephesus at some point. Uh, so the idea was this was a kind of holding operation till he got back. Now, we don't know precisely when Paul would have written this letter. We, it's not dated and so on. But you do have to remember uh, that in the ancient world, something like this, a letter like this, could take quite a long time to arrive um, because there was, well, I said there was no postal service. Uh, maybe that was an advantage. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> who knows how long things will take to arrive. Uh, but um, it, it would depend, of course, on somebody going that way, someone who could take the letter, um, the shipping season, because it would only be in the summer that the ships would travel. So it could take quite a long time for the letter to uh, arrive. 
It's also a little bit disingenuous of Paul in a way to write to Timothy as an individual because we see when we, we read the epistle, we read it through, that actually he's writing to the church, to the church at Ephesus, I mean to Timothy, of course, as, the, as his representative, as the leader of the church. But Paul knew that the letter would be read by everybody. Uh, and uh, it's important to realize this because, you see, today uh, we live in a world where, where privacy um, is a reality. Well, at least in theory. Um, you know, you're supposed to be able to write to people uh, and not everybody, not the whole, everybody else would read it. In the ancient world, though, um, privacy as we understand it really didn't exist. Uh, I mean, Paul could, ha- could not really have written to Timothy privately uh, and expect that nobody else would have read the letter. First of all, of course, somebody would have had to take the letter and they probably would have read it. There would have, Paul would also have made a copy, uh, maybe several copies in case it got lost because you never knew what was going to happen. Uh, and of course, <coughs> receiving a letter from Paul would, would be such an event uh, for Timothy in the church that you can just imagine everybody would be crowding around saying, what does he say? What does he say? Uh, you know, uh, keeping it to yourself would not really have been possible. And so Paul realizes this, he knows this, and we have to understand this because behind Timothy and so on is the church. And they're kind of listening in uh, to uh, what Paul is saying to Timothy. So be aware of that. How does he start? He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. Well, this is, of course, a standard way of introducing a letter. People would, would this was sort of, you signed it at the beginning, <laughs> not, not at the end, um, like this. It's different from what we do today. But, of course, this rather elaborate presentation uh, to somebody who is, after all, a close colleague and friend uh, is a reminder to us that it's not just a private letter. I mean, I'm sure Paul would not have written to Timothy in such an elaborate way uh, if it was just entirely private. Um, but he is reinforcing Timothy's position as his delegate, as his representative, by reminding Timothy, supposedly, uh, but of course the church behind Timothy, of who exactly he was and what his authority from God uh, was. And he says he's an apostle. He is therefore a, a missionary, somebody who is sent uh, uh, to to preach Christ Jesus. Now, we would, of course, not normally say Jesus Christ, but uh, it was a, a typical of Paul to put it the other way round. And that's a, a kind of signature tune of Paul when he talks about Christ Jesus. Why? Uh, probably because he's thinking in, ter- in, in Hebrew, you know, that's been in the background, the Messiah, the Christ is the Messiah. So he, he, he's just kind of translating in his mind and putting it like this. By command of God our Savior, the word translated here, command, uh, might be better translated mandate or appointment. To us a command uh, is perhaps too specific. 
uh, you know, uh, like we, we think of the Ten Commandments, and you just go well, do this, do that, do something else. Whereas this isn't really quite that defi- defined. Uh, it's more he's appointed to a position. Uh, and of course he's expected, uh, because he has this position, um, to think for himself. And of course we know from some of the letters that Paul writes, I mean he writes to the Corinthians for example, and he's giving advice about you know men and women and, and in the church and so on. And he says, I mean openly he said, well I haven't got a direct command from God, uh, I'm just telling you this is what I think. And he says, I, you know, this is, this is my advice to you and I think that you know God, I have the Holy Spirit sort of telling me to do this. But he's quite clear that um, he's sort of speaking, on, uh, you know, on his own authority rather than on some direct revelation that he's received, and I think that's how we have to understand it—that he is, um, you know, he's been given an appointment by God, a, a mandate, and uh, he's expected to fulfil it um, to the best of his ability, uh, using the gifts and the the presence of the Spirit in his life uh, to help him along the way. Then he says, of God our Saviour and of Christ Jesus our hope. This is quite an interesting way of putting things. Um, we would normally think of the Saviour as Jesus. And of course, Jesus is our Saviour and Paul uses that uh, elsewhere. But here he's reminding uh, Timothy and the church um, that our salvation is the plan of God the Father. You know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, as John says. I mean, the, the plan of salvation comes from God the Father. Um, and Jesus is not our savior by accident or by his own decision. Um, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's a, uh, a mission uh, which he accomplishes in order to fulfill the will of his father, who is ultimately um, the one who has planned to save us. And Christ Jesus, our hope, uh, why is Christ Jesus our hope? He is our hope because he rose from the dead. Uh, this, this is a reference to that. You see, if Christ is not risen from the dead, says Paul, we are of all people the most miserable. You know, in, in, he says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So, uh, th- this is what lies behind this. You see, we have hope of eternal life. We have hope of salvation that the plan of God will actually work out in our lives because Jesus rose again. So that's the underlying uh, idea here. Then he says to Timothy, my true child in the faith. What does he mean by true child in the faith? Uh, The Greek word behind this is perhaps better translated as genuine or real, we would say today, my real child in the faith. Well, obviously, Timothy was not the physical child of, uh, uh, of Paul. Um, I've already said it's, it's doubtful whether Timothy became a Christian because of Paul's preaching and teaching, although that's possible. Uh, but he had been instructed in the faith by his mother and by his grandmother. This we know uh, from other uh, places. So we don't really know about that. I think what Paul is stressing here, a true child in the faith, is (coughs) that the mandate, the appointment which he has received from God, is uh, inherited to some degree uh, by Timothy. That Timothy shares uh, in the calling, in the mission, and in the faith of, of, of Paul. That this is 
um, you know, he, he, he's the worthy successor, uh, I think we would say, um, today. That's what uh, Paul is really saying here. And then he says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Now this may strike you as a fairly ordinary thing to say, uh, but actually it's not. Um, the two things we have to notice here. First of all, uh, it was standard practice among the early Christians to greet people by saying grace and peace. Why? Well, because the Greek word for hello, <laughs> you know, uh, is here. And the Greek word for grace is charis. So charis and here sound alike. Peace, of course, shalom, is the Hebrew word uh, for greeting. Still is, you know, shalom, uh, salam in, in, in Arabic. So what you have here is a comb- is, is basically hello in Greek and in Hebrew, uh, you know, for the, the people who are not Jewish and the people who are, uh, uh, the two languages which were, you know, were, were used in the early church. You see them together. And the Christians tended to combine this, you see, sort of say grace and peace. And lots of times in the New Testament you will come across this. However, and what you're supposed to notice here, uh, is that between grace and peace, there is inserted this notion of mercy, which is unusual. Now, one of the things we have to remember when we look through this uh, letter is that Paul has a way of grouping things together in threes, uh, what we call triads, you see. And this was a typical device uh, that was often used in the ancient world. Things went, went in threes. Now normally, most often, if you had a, three things together, the first thing was the most important. It's kind of set the tone. And then the second and third thing would be kind of additional explanations or somehow dependent on the first. An example of this, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Son is the Son of the Father. The Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. So the Son and the Holy Spirit are kind of explained in the light of the Father. You see, the Father is put first and, and the other two are sort of exp- uh, expounded or developed in, in that context. That's the most common way uh, uh, in which three things are put together. Sometimes this gets reversed and you have a kind of climbing steps, you know, from the first thing, second thing, and then the third thing is the most important. And this, of course, we find in the New Testament when Paul talks about love uh, in 1 Corinthians 13, when he says faith, love, and uh, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. So the triad, the, 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 the three things are, are kind of in reverse order. But of course he points that out. Uh, you see that the, uh, the, this is how it's meant to be read. But here we have something very unusual, which is that the, 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 most, the, the, the word that would strike people uh, and would strike the, the, the uh, Timothy and those who read this is the one in the middle. You know, normally it's the middle child who gets forgotten, uh, but uh, but here, no, you see, it's uh, it's sort of grace, 
mercy and peace. And people would say, well, grace and peace, you know, everyone says that all the time. Like, have a nice day, you know. Uh, but, uh, but here there's this mercy suddenly thrown in. And people would sort of say, oh, mercy. Uh, you know, it's, it, it would, well, it would strike them as being unusual. You see what I mean? That's not, not the expected thing. And I think this is important because this is the theme that Paul wants to develop. Uh, in the course of the letter, you see, the mercy of God, how God has reached out to the undeserving, to those who uh, have done nothing to earn their salvation. Indeed, uh, to the kind of people that you and I just wouldn't want in heaven, um, you know, ruin the place uh, if you let them in. Um, and uh, and he's worked out to uh, his mercy is such you see he's shown something more than just grace and peace uh, he stepped out and uh, and shown mercy in other words brought forgiveness um, uh, which overrides uh, the claims of justice you might say I mean if, if justice was the was the dominating uh, idea uh, none of these people would be saved because they didn't deserve it uh, but mercy uh, it overrides this you see it, it shows that he, it, these people are forgiven even though um, they've done nothing uh, to merit that particular thing so this is what I think uh, Paul is trying to emphasize here and we see this as we go through the text so how does he go on he says as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia you see so he he, uh, he, he recalls his his parting words as it were. So I was going to Macedonia. He said, remain at Ephesus. This is how we know that Timothy was in Ephesus. Uh, So that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. All right. What's going on here? Well, to, uh, Paul obviously thinks that there are some people in the church who have ideas of their own. Now, of course, anyone who's in ministry knows that these people are very dangerous. You know, uh, somebody who thinks for themselves, oh dear. Um, <laughs> you know, keep them quiet, whatever you can do. Um, but actually, you see, we live uh, in a world where thinking for yourself uh, is a positive thing. Uh, we, we expect people to be original and, and, and to be creative uh, and so on. That's part of our culture. And if you're not, I mean, if you just copy what somebody else does, you could be in trouble. You know, you could be accused of plagiarism. I mean, if Matthew and Luke were alive today, they'd probably be in jail uh, for having plagiarized Mark, uh, you know, sort of taken the Gospels and, and just sort of copied it out and so on. They didn't have rules like that in, ancient, in the ancient world. But here the mentality, you see, is completely different. Mentality is uh, that there is a deposit of faith. There is a content. There is a message which has been communicated to the church at Ephesus. And you must keep that message pure, uncontaminated. Don't let people go off on a, on a sideline, a sidetrack, you know, that will, will take you away from the, from, from the essential thing. So to teach something else, to say something else, is not a good thing. So you are meant to stick 
with the message that has been given. Well, that is the first thing. But then he says, not to devote yourself to myths and endless genealogies. Now, this is... Oh, thank you, yes. Yes. We want to suffer the little children, but not right now. Um, Anyhow, um, that genealogies... Uh, and so on. And this is an interesting thing because you say, well, why do people get in, in, in interested in this sort of thing? Well, some people are just interested in, in their ancestry. You know, it's advertised on TV, isn't it? I mean, you can sort of join Ancestry.com and find out who you really are. Um, I, I'm not sure that you particularly want to do that. Um, I mean... Uh, just well, just a few months ago, I had a, a, a letter from a cousin of mine, a dis- fairly distant cousin who was tracing family uh, origins on my mother's side, and my great grandparents. He 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 had found them somehow, um, but he wasn't quite sure how they were connected with with me. You see, in my generation, he knew it was the same fa- branch of the family, but how we were actually connected. So he wrote to me and asked if I could dig out the details and so on. So I delegated, delegated this to one of my sisters. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, well, uh, because she had the she had the material to hand, which I didn't. Anyhow, so she looked it, looked it up and discovered um, that my mother's father um, was not, in fact, the son of these great grandparents. Um, he was a foundling. He'd been left on the doorstep. And they didn't know who he was, and uh, you know they, they they just took him in and 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 brought him up. We don't know uh, like who the real parents are uh, or were. Uh, and of course, the thing my mother was shocked. I mean, she had no idea that this was her fa- this was her father, you see, but she had no idea. And it's quite possible that my grandfather had no idea either, because well, back in those days, you see, you're talking about the 1880s here. People didn't sort of go on Oprah and reveal all the, you know, <laughs> all, all the sort of dirty laundry in the family. You know what I mean? That wasn't the done thing. So who knows? I mean, maybe they didn't know. But we found this out, and it was actually written on my grandfather's birth certificate. Uh, you know, deposited on the doorstep. <laughs> yeah. So. It, that's how we know. Uh, so I had the, 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 the duty of writing back to this cousin and say, um, I have to tell you, we're not actually related. <laughs> not by blood, anyway. Um, you know, because, because of this. So we found this out, you see, by going through genealogy. And a lot of people have experiences like this. You know, you, you dig into your family history and you find things that perhaps you don't, don't really want to know. Um, but but some people get very fascinated with this. And, of course, in the Jewish world, uh, this was part of the religion. Uh, we know this because, just look at the Old Testament. You know, it's full of genealogies. Uh, Jesus has genealogies. You know, in Matthew's Gospel, Luke's Gospel, long tail. And it was important to them because of the nature of Judaism. Uh, you know, a tribal religion, a, a, a national religion. They were descended from Abraham and so on. So it was important to know how uh, this applied to you. So people would discuss this, you see. And of course, 
you know, once you get into the, the, these things, the details can get very complicated, and people start arguing about it one way or the other, you know, who's the true descendant and who's, especially with Abraham, you know, Abraham had lots of children, which one is the, the, the true inheritor, is it Isaac, is it Ishmael, I mean, who is it? You know, you can sort of go go with this, and of course there'd be di- disagreements about uh, about various things, and people could get very caught up in this, this this kind of discussion and get completely off the point because of course the 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 point of the of the christian revelation is that it doesn't matter who your ancestors are or were uh, anyone can become a christian uh, you know you don't have to be a physical descendant of abraham so arguing about genealogies in the old testament and so on is really uh, a waste of time you know it's not necessarily evil or a bad thing to do in itself it's just it's just taking you away from what is central and i think this is important for us to learn because while we might not do this particular thing it is easy to get caught up in 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 issues um, that divide people but don't really matter and if you don't believe me uh, just start a discussion about you know, what kind of music we should have in the church, uh, you know, what hymnal we should be using, um, you know, should we change the furniture around, should we have change the times of the service, you know, all kinds of things like this. People can get really hot under the collar about this sort of kind of thing. And yet at the end of the day, what difference does it make, really? You know. And somebody asked me the other day, said, oh, I gather at the Advent you have traditional worship music music services and you have modern music services. Which one do you go to? And I said, oh, well, I don't go to either. I said, you don't go to either? I said, no, I can't stand either of them. I, I go to 7.30 when we don't have music. That suits me just fine. But they were kind of thrown. They were kind of thrown by that, you know. It was a sort of non-answer. Um, but anyway, I, I was joking, of course. But um, uh, it, it's a way of getting away from what is really a pointless discussion. And this is what Paul was trying to say here, and he said it, it, it does this. You see, promotes speculations, gets people arguing, rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. We have to keep the gospel message central to everything that we are doing. Then he says, the aim of our charge, that is of our mandate, is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Now, those of you who were listening to what I was saying five minutes ago, two or three of you, um, (laughs) will will recognize immediately uh, the three, you see, the triad which comes out. And and here we have, uh, you have to put them together, you see, uh, pure heart, good conscience and sincere faith and they follow in that order you have a good heart in other words your intentions are good you see and this makes a huge difference you know because you can make mistakes in your life but if your heart's in the right place you know people tend to recognize this they tend to realize this and and they accept it uh, you know, you say, well, yeah, maybe he didn't do so well on this or that, but, you know, his heart's in the right place. He means well. He's, he's, got, he's got the right intention. So let's start with there, because that's a good thing. And then a good conscience. This is an awareness, you see, because if your heart is in the right place, 
then uh, you don't feel guilty. Uh, you know, you may mess up. All right, we all mess up sometimes. Uh, but if our intentions are good and we're, we're headed in the right direction, then um, we don't have to feel guilty about it. We have a good conscience. Uh, you know, I tried. I did. I, I may not have been able to do it, do it, but I meant. You know, I, my intentions were were good, and a sincere faith that this is again the intentions. I wanted to do the right thing. Uh, you know, I was heading in the right direction and tried to do this. And this is what we have to be like. Uh, you see, we we mustn't always. Um, well, we aim for success, of course, but we must realize that we don't always succeed. Uh, I mean, sometimes it doesn't work. It didn't always work with Paul. It didn't always work with Jesus. You know, and Jesus said to his disciples, if you go somewhere and you preach somewhere and they don't listen to you, then just, you know, wipe the dust from off your feet and go off somewhere else. I mean, don't be discouraged. Don't, uh, you know, don't let it get you down. Uh, you have to move on. Um, and, and this is something that we need to understand. You see that God does not call us to be great successes, necessarily. I mean, if we succeed, that's fine. But what he wants is faithfulness. What he wants is, is pure heart, good conscience, and sincere faith. And then you're equipped. You see, you're headed in the right direction with those things. And then he says, he goes on, he says, certain people, by swerving from these things, have wandered away into vain discussion. In other words, these are the kind of people, you know, they're, they're not right in themselves. They're not right in their hearts. So they're the ones who get lost in these funny discussions and so on. They desire to be teachers of the law without understanding what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now, I have to confess here, as a university professor, I feel this very much because the number of meetings that I go to where people get up and uh, and are, are, are touted as experts on their subject when in fact they really don't know anything about it um, <laughs> is is colossal. You have no idea, you know, and I believe there's a special rung of hell um, <laughs> reserved reserved for preachers who use Greek in their sermons. Have you ever come across these? You know, who say, well, the Greek says this, and I'm sitting there in the congregation saying, no, it doesn't. You know, nine times out of, nine times out of ten, they're wrong. Really, they are. Um, but they just want you to think, you know, that they, they're cut above you, and uh, they didn't go to seminary for nothing. Um, and and so they they say these things, and it's, it's astonishing how widespread this 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 phenomenon is. And uh, I'm in the awful position of knowing. You see, now of course, if I if I go to something where I really don't know anything about it, like uh, you know a lecture on medicine, for example, I mean you could t say anything to me, and I would just drink it in because I don't have a clue. Or uh, if you start to talking to me about computers, you know. To me, computers are magic things that have descended from heaven. <laughs> and, um, you, you know, you have to be a three-year-old to understand computers. I mean, I just, I just can't imagine this. So you can say what you like about them, and I'll believe you. But if it's a subject I know something about, um, then I'm a little bit more, mm, I'm not so sure about this, you see. And, 
Um, and this is what Paul is saying here. You see, these people think they're teachers of the law. And of course, they have all the qualifications and they may sound good, uh, but they don't actually know what they're saying because their hearts are not right with God to begin with. And he goes on to make this point. He says, we know that the law is good if it's used properly. You know, uh, that if you know what you're doing, well, then that's fine. Um, but uh, he said, actually, you don't need the law. You know, you, you can do it on your own because you, you know what you're doing. He said the law is given for people who don't do the right thing. Uh, it's given as a, as, a, as a reminder, you see, to the, what the standard is required. Uh, and then it's not. Now, I haven't got time this morning to go through all these things. Um, the lawless and disobedient, the ungodly and sinners, the unholy and profane. You kind of get the picture. Um, but what I would say is that from the next bit, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, it seems that Paul is going through the Ten Commandments. The Fifth Commandment, honor your father and mother. The Sixth Commandment, you shall not kill, you shall not commit adultery, and so on. He seems to have this in mind, uh, and is just giving examples of people who break them. Now, it's important that we understand this, because if he's thinking this way, you know, sort of a checklist of the commandments, it doesn't necessarily mean that these people were sitting in the congregation. You know, he's not necessarily getting at particular people in the congregation. Maybe uh, there were people like that, uh, but he's, uh, it's, it's a more uh, general and generic thing. You see, he's pointing out something um, that is generally true, and I think that's um, what he's talking about here. Then he goes on, Paul says, I thank him, verse 12, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. Paul always comes back to himself as the ultimate example of someone who did not deserve the mission to which had been entrusted to him. He recalls the day, days of his youth when he persecuted the church, uh, when he, he was dedicated, uh, he was very dedicated, but he was dedicated in a way which was opposed to, to the, the will of God. And God had to intervene in his life uh, and turn him around you see, in a very dramatic way. And of course, Paul never forgot that. But Paul realized that he was turned around in this way because God had a special gift for him. He had a special purpose for him. And he said, just as he was a terrible sinner uh, to begin with, so he'd been turned around uh, and given uh, a very important mission, you see, when, when, uh, uh, when he went the other way. Now, I think this is something we have to be very uh, aware of ourselves. Uh, because uh, there are some people who think that God can't love me. You know, it's amazing how many people believe that they're too bad for God. You know, and they'll say to someone like me, the preacher, you see, they'll say, if you knew what I was really like, you wouldn't be talking about forgiveness. You wouldn't be saying these things. I remember a woman in my church, I was talking about forgiveness one time, and she came up to me afterwards and she said, you know, I don't agree with you. She said, I can't forgive myself for some of the things that I've done in the past. I said, what are you telling me that I can have forgiveness? And I said to her, Samarian, I said, you don't have to forgive yourself. You know, 
Jesus came into the world, God sent his son into the world because you can't forgive yourself. Uh, you know, he doesn't want that. I mean, uh, you are forgiven by him. And suddenly the light sort of dawned on She didn't realize that. Somehow or other, you know, that, that aspect of it never really sank in in her life. And just for the first time, she sort of heard this and said, really? I said, yes, you don't have to carry this burden around, uh, you know, your whole life. I mean, of course, I don't know what you've done, and I don't want to know. Don't tell me. Uh, all, all, well, you know, I mean, you'd be there all night listening to this. But, I mean, I, I, didn't, I didn't really want that. But, but it wasn't the point. I mean, you know, that, that didn't matter. It was that she is right with God, so that God has forgiven you uh, in this way, and... Uh, and has a purpose for you. Um, you can never be too bad for God, uh, you know. And uh, I'm not suggesting that you go out and be as bad as you possibly can so that God will use you. I'm not saying that. But if you carry this burden with you in your life that you know that you've messed up really, really badly, Paul messed up really badly, but God turned him around. And he remembered that. And of course, he, the fact that this happened to him meant that he was never proud of what he did. You see, he, he never boasted about his own accomplishments because he knew that ultimately he depended on God for everything. And then he said he, he received mercy. Here we come to mercy. You see in verse uh, 13, because he acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of God overflowed in his life. This is, this is Paul's confession. This is what he's saying. And then he says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. I am the chief. This is the attitude we should have. You see, before I preach to others, I have to preach to myself. Uh, I actually spent two hours this morning uh, going through this text and preaching it to myself. Uh, saying, can I really stand up before those people at 10 o'clock and say what I'm saying? Uh, you know, what about me? Uh, how does this apply to me? Uh, I mean, who am I to, to sort of say these things to other people? Uh, and asking forgiveness from God, asking for grace from God, asking for the power to speak uh, this, because I am a sinner too, uh, and I need to know that. And I, if I'm preaching grace and forgiveness that you can receive from him, I need to know this is true in my life. And we all need to know this. You see, we, we must apply it first and foremost to ourselves. And then he says, I received mercy. I did, this happened to me because of God's purpose for me. And then he closes, he said, Timothy, this is why I'm writing to you. So I'm passing this on to you because uh, you uh, have, have been chosen. You see, you have been singled out. I recognize this. I know this. I see in you the, the right person to carry on my ministry. And you can do this. You can hold on with a, a good faith, with a clear conscience, uh, and so on. And he said, don't be like those who, uh, who've gone astray, those who've rejected, those who've turned away. So those people exist. Yes, they're there. So, but you stay faithful. You stay cl close. And this is the challenge to each of us. You see, we're not Paul. But we are given a, a message. We are given a gospel. Are we faithful? Are we keeping it? Are we, uh, uh, are, you know, are, are we trustworthy? Uh, can it be said of us 
that we reflect the message, the truth of the message which we have heard. People look at us and see the saving power of Jesus Christ at work in our lives, in your life and in my life. That's the ultimate test. And this is what Paul is saying to Timothy. Be that kind of person. Be a changed person. Be a different person. Be a new person. Uh, and then uh, your ministry will be fine. Your service will be okay. doesn't matter what you do. If you're right with God, he will lead you in the right way. Right, we must finish there. Uh, our time has gone. Uh, I'm just going to pray for us together and send you out. If you didn't get a handout at the beginning, if you came in late, I've got a few here, uh, and I hope we'll see you again next week. Okay, let's pray together. Our Father, thank you for this day, for this time that we've had now together. And Lord, I pray that you would send us out in the power of your love, uh, that whatever we do now, wherever we go, whoever we speak to, uh, and whatever challenges we meet, that we may know your presence in our lives, uh, that we may see your saving grace at work uh, in the things that we do, uh, and that we might be a light in the world uh, to the, the message, to the gospel which we have heard in Jesus Christ. And so keep us close to you, we pray this day, uh, in all things. For his name's sake we ask it. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.